to my prayer partners who are both visible in this audience and also invisible to this crowd. Our scripture has already been read, and so uh, it says a woman, a wise woman, builds her house while a foolish woman tears hers down by her own efforts. A wise woman builds her house while a foolish woman tears hers down by her own efforts. And I would that you would indulge me for just a few minutes as we talk about our history, our hang-ups, and our help. Our history, our hang-ups, and our helps. Many major events have a particular song associated with it, which has become recognized worldwide. For instance, the Star Spangled Banner is played at football games, and I generally stand proudly with my hand over my heart, acknowledging the free country in which I've had the privilege to serve. Auld Lang Zion is sung to bring in the new year, out with the old and in with the new. And then for he's a jolly good fellow, <laughs> sung to praise somebody for an achievement that they have accomplished. But then there's a, a song that I believe that all the mothers in the house can resonate with. And when I think about this song, I think about the dangers seen and unseen with our children. I think about the never-ending hours of prayer and praise over some hell or high water that has befallen the life of our children. I think about for every school funeral mothers that you have attended that did not involve your child. I think about for every diagnosis that the doctor suspected and God said no. For every night that you didn't have two nickels to rub together for soup and God said it shall be so. When your child suffered the social pressures and injustices at the hands of unrepented classmates who they tried to emulate and to bring that foolishness and unwise teaching home to your house, but you said, not my house, not my house. And so for the, for the days that you spent more hours in the school administrator's office than you did at your job and for exceeding the number of PTO hours that you even had, I want you to go on and interact with this anthem that I've chosen for us this morning. The songwriter says, great is your mercy. For I am not requiring amens from my brothers this morning. For your day is coming, Pastor Benson has a word for you on next month as well. So fear not. But to my sisters on this morning, I believe we need to have a checkup from the neck up. I would that this discussion would be private among us, but it impacts our daughters and our sons, our nieces and our nephews and our husbands alike, and so here we are. A wise teacher once told me that for all the things you purpose to do in this life, Vaughn, the expenditures of your activity ought not to be without a purpose. And so what is it that you purpose to do? And so I extend that thought to you, mothers. What is it that you purpose to do? This topic is important to me because we as 
women are living in a day where a catastrophe has occurred. And not only has a catastrophe occurred, but we are living in the continuum of that catastrophe. And some of us as women, as, as moms, have become comfortable with the lie that it has presented to us. In my reading of the Proverbs, I fell in love with this particular verse of which I'd like to draw three points. Our biblical history of the Proverbs, this one in particular. Our hang-ups with the Proverbs, this one in particular. And our help through the Proverbs, this one in particular. And so God in his infinite wisdom, knowing us beforehand according to Psalm 139, has made us contractors according to this verse. If you will, my sisters, he has also equipped us to build homes across America. And so in the building of those homes, pastor, cometh wives, sons, daughters, and yes, even mothers. And so now I recognize that because some of our own decisions have led us to a different order in which we may have become mothers. It may have varied from household to household, but take heart, we have not been condemned. God has still granted us this privilege and opportunity to become Mothers, And some of us are mothers of the womb. Some of us are mothers of the heart. Some of us have become responsible for birthing ideas into the minds of our little ones. And some have become advisors along the way, reshaping the tenor and the tone of wayward thinking. Nevertheless, God has still granted us the privilege and the opportunity to become mothers. And for many of us, a position in the home as general contractors, for we are builders of our homes. Google defines a mother in part as a protector, a disciplinarian, and a friend, Minister Heyman. A mother is selfless, loving human, and who sacrifices many of her own wants and needs for the wants and needs of her children. A mother works hard to make sure that her child is equipped with the knowledge, the skills, and the abilities to make a contribution to our society. Amen. So by definition, if you are a mother of children, young or adult, and they live or they don't live with you, and those children still come to your house for breakfast, lunch, and or dinner, Amen. you are still mother. If those grown children continue to require an allowance or financial support of any kind, you are still mother. If your grown children still feel some kind of way when their childhood stockings are still not hung by the chimney with care, you are still mother. If those adult children still require counsel, take heart, you are still mother. And so in a sense, we are like contractors building, molding, and shaping the hearts and minds of our children into competent and contributing members of our society. And so just by doing that roll call, more of us as women begin to fill this category called mother. Those of you that have given birth, you fit. Those of you that have formed blended forces together, you fit. Those of you that have taken on the role and the function of someone else's child, you fit. Those of you that are fostering, you fit. Those of you that have adopted, you fit. 
Those of you whom by inspiration have poured into the hearts and the minds of others providing direction and guidance, you fit. While Hallmark doesn't have a collection of cards that fit all of our circumstances, God's word is still a one-size-fits-all. And so we can all enjoy the benefit of Solomon's teaching on this morning. And so in that frame, and since on the surface we appear to be general contractors, let us then consider the scripture found in Proverbs 14.1. The NRSV version says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And so sometimes via varied translations, we are able to get a fuller text. For instance, the Amplified Version reads, The wise woman builds her house on a foundation of godly precepts, and her household thrives. But the foolish one who lacks spiritual insight tears it down with her own hands by ignoring godly principles. The contemporary English version says a woman's family is held together by her wisdom, but it can be destroyed by her foolishness. The easy to read version reads a wise woman makes her way, makes her home what it should be, but the home of a foolish woman is destroyed by her own actions. The expanded Bible says a wise woman strengthens her family, builds her house, but a foolish woman destroys hers by what she does, tears hers down with her own hands. The Good News translation reads, homes are made by the wisdom of women, but are destroyed by foolishness. The Message Bible reads, Lady Wisdom builds a lovely home. Sir Fool comes along and tears it down brick by brick. This is the word of God. The Passion Translation says, every wise woman encourages and builds up her family, but a foolish woman over time will tear it down with her own actions. And so at a bare minimum, whichever route you choose to internalize this offered wisdom from Solomon, we likely agree that this verse at its core offers us a scale of choice. And so to unpack this choice, we need to first understand my first point our history of the Proverbs. And so who wrote Proverbs? Much of the book of Proverbs, and in particular this chapter, is written by Solomon. And as you might recall, Solomon was granted great wisdom by God in 1 Kings 4, 29 to 34. And we're told that there was no one more wiser than he, 1 Kings 3 and 12. And so as much as it would be befitting for us that we pay attention to the wisdom of Solomon. In our vanity, we attempt to practice a greater wisdom than that of King Solomon, then it becomes foolishness. It becomes foolishness. Wisdom literature, while sometimes difficult to understand, is part of the whole, part of, the whole of Old Testament truth. The priest gave the law, the prophet gave the word from the Lord, and the wise man gave wise counsel, Jeremiah 18 and 18. And so in Proverbs, Solomon here is the wise man who provides insight into sometimes perplexing issues of life, which are not, by the way, directly addressed in the books of law or in the prophecy books. Proverbs calls us to live as God intended for us to live when he made us, by gaining a heart of wisdom. Proverbs contains the principle and applications of scripture which the godly characters of the Bible illustrate in their lives. Why was it written? Proverbs states in its theme, 
uh, states its theme explicitly very early in the book, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and that's Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord refers to our viewing him with the respect that he deserves. And it means living our lives in light of what we know of God, holding him in the highest estimation and depending on him with the humble trust. Once we come to the conclusion that God is indeed all, God is indeed all wise, it is only then, Proverbs teaches, that we will discover knowledge and wisdom. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 that an unsaved mind cannot receive the things of God. It becomes foolishness to him. And so this proverb of discussion this morning will only make sense to you if your head and your heart are in such a position that God is in the core of your TikTok and indeed sitting on the throne of your life. Otherwise, this won't make any sense to you this morning. So in contrast, until our hearts are responding to the will and the way of Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior of our lives, the discussion this morning will resound as foolishness in your ears. The really great thing, girls, women, moms, is that we can choose to be wise over choosing to being foolish. A wise woman builds her house while a foolish woman tears hers down by her own efforts. So how does this book benefit us? And so Proverbs plays a very important role in different types of literary works. The most important function of Proverbs is to teach and to educate the audience, those of us, my sisters, that will listen. We are taught from the Proverbs and then we become teachers of the Proverbs. Metaphorically, according to this first verse, we are providing bricks and mortar, yet realistically, we are instilling virtue and discipline and integrity and chastity and goodness into our children. I've carried some of the tears of my sister, Sabrina Miller, who, while raising their children up many a day and night, camped out on God's promises, wondering how much longer, God, will I need to carry this? And God declared, I own time. And while they were yet praying, God was changing their zip code and sending a layer to college long before they received notification. God marks time. We don't. I've carried Shanta Thompson, her boys, with tears to my own closet where they were camped out on God's promises when every specialist said, it's going to take time. God said, I own time. I've carried the rusty knees of my sister Aileen Harrell to my own closet when they had to watch experience become the best teacher. And God declared, she's still mine. At the helm of every youth recognition, Sister Lucienda, are these children decked out with scholastic achievement, recognition, and acknowledgement every year as God continues to wink at these parents and others committing themselves to wisdom and instruction. And so while he continues to honor his word even above his name, it's not what it looks like on the surface. So laying a foundation with consistent praying, toiling, and the right materials takes work, and it also takes time. It takes time. When we lay the foundation, particularly as moms from the traditional home front, we must teach that the husband is the head of the household. The direction for the home is given to him by God, but the woman is the neck and collaboratively has the ability, if he allows it, to turn the head whichever way she pleases. 
This is not a new trick, girlfriends. We saw this at the beginning of the Bible with Eve. So if the neck is not firm, mothers, it can cause an instability in the man, and yes, even in the household. When we are not teaching the direction of the honor code, our buildings will develop hairline fractures, cracks, and vertical penetrations, and horizontal penetrations in our estates. We must teach God's order and our role in the household, mommy, so that the structure of our homes will be and remain solid. We are building character in our homes. This has always been God's word from the beginning. And so now that we have become wise, we must teach order to our children. The cooperation of the neck is essential for smooth turning of the head. That's the way God structured it for an effective and peaceful running of the family. The head is ultimately responsible for decision and direction of the family. When we fail at layering appropriate foundations for our children's growth and development brick by brick, we fail to choose wise teaching. Many of our mommies here are also wives, and so a wise woman builds her house while a foolish woman tears hers down by her own efforts. Proverbs often contain expert advice with a role for educating the readers on what they might face depending on the choices within the options that they might choose. They are written in a sense in this conditional statement that highlight and teach fundamental realities about life. Solomon sought God's wisdom in 2 Chronicles 1, 8 to 12 and offered clever sayings designed to make men and women think. As I thought more and more about this particular proverb, I thought about lyrics in the song in 1971 by a writer named Helen Reddy. Some of you already know where I'm going. I am woman, hear me roar, she says, in numbers too big to ignore. And I know too much to go back and pretend because I've heard it all before and I've been down that on that floor. No one's ever going to keep me down again. That's Helen Reddy. And so this was recorded in the woman's lib movement of the 1970s. And it was the mantra of the feminist movement. It was a lie that caused women to believe that we are equal in all respects to the design and role of men. In truth, however, we don't have the same design nor roles of men and neither should we aspire to have it. They are overall responsible. We are not responsible. While the song reached number one on the pop charts, it became very divisive along gender lines. Women thought it empowering and men thought it absolutely degrading. And thus the battle with Eve started yet all over again. The result of that foolish singing and teaching causes our young girls to become confused about who they are and even more importantly, about who they are not. With our own hands, we began to tear down the fabric of what God called us to build. Boys don't become mommies. And as domestic as we might teach some of our men to be, they are not mommies and we're not designed to be mommies. We've lost sight of the beauty of our roles. We have accepted the lie that there is no value in what God intended for us to bring to the table. We build homes, my sisters, brick by brick, layer by layer. We are without question Titus to homemakers. Yes. Now in our job descriptions might read family manager or home economist or 
home engineer, but we still smooth out, press out, and layer out one layer at a time. Men are not called to be homemakers. They are providers. When we are married and we work outside of the home, it's because we are permissioned to do so. When and if we are permissioned to do so, we are still responsible for the management of our homes. As archaic as that might sound, your issues are with God's word and not with me. We must purpose to operate within our design. Please don't get me wrong. Many a industry is populated by the hands of our sisters in this audience. Those decisions work for the husband and for that family, which is very much in order. Amen. Those decisions made at the helm are perfectly are in order. But mommies, you are still the superintendent of homemaking, no matter who handles the task. Similar to how we benefit from this book is the value added to our lives from this book of Proverbs. When we ask ourselves, what is the purpose of wisdom literature in the Bible for me? It is to teach rather than to relate a narrative. Proverbs contains 31 chapters, each comprised of 20 to 35 wise sayings that are each two poetic lines long. Proverbs accomplishes something that no other biblical book does. It brings together numerous short instructions for living as effective life on earth. And so while other books articulate profound theological truths, lengthy narratives of triumph and failure over prophetic preaching to a disobedient people, Proverbs concerns itself completely with instructing people in the path of wisdom. And so specifically in chapters 10 to chapters 22, there are 375 Proverbs of Solomon, each of which represents in some way the choice to be made between wisdom and foolishness. And so my second point is our hangups with wisdom teaching. What are the divisive tracks or the divisive tricks from the enemy regarding this proverb. There are three thoughts here to wrestle with. First, the lies that the enemy has told us about our value. There are still mommies who battle with hangups, especially on this day. This particular day of recognition brings some a gulp in their throat and a knot in their stomachs. I know that Mother's Day can be a very difficult day for some of you and for lots of very different reasons. And so maybe your mother is no longer alive and you really miss her. Maybe you don't have a very good relationship with your mother and she is still alive. Maybe you'd love to be a mother and it just hasn't happened yet. I know that we also don't like to talk about this, but like it or not, not every mother is a good or a godly mother. Oftentimes, mothers through very difficult circumstances have made some very poor Decisions And sometimes mothers have not been able to forgive themselves for the decisions that they've made a long, long time ago. Sometimes mothers don't have the tools to build a house. And the decision starts with wanting the tools. The decision starts with operating on the wisdom that is given to us in the Proverbs. Mothers are not perfect, but we're also not condemned. As a little girl at the age of seven, I and my siblings were taken from my mother and placed into foster care. We were told that it was a temporary situation until our mother was able to get back on her feet. Little did we know that we would never ever return back to our mother. Initially, it would be two separate homes where my brothers were dropped off into one place of care and my sister and I were dropped off into another place of care. 
It was in this home that I was introduced to laughter and consistent food and clothing that fit in a warm shelter. The couple while older were a godly couple who attended Sharon Baptist Church. He was a well-known deacon, and I, unlike any of his grandkids, always wanted to go to church with Pop-Pop. It would be at Sharon Baptist Church at the age of eight years old where I had responded to the call of Jesus Christ in my life. I didn't understand the whole theology of it at the time, but in my mind, I heard that if I give my hand to the preacher and my life to Jesus Christ, I would live with him forever and ever. I knew even at the age of eight that God had a house for me. By the time I was ten and a half, my sister and I were being removed from this loving foster home where we had gained some sense of stability to a different foster home where the parents would bring my siblings, my brother's siblings, and the girls back together under one roof. On moving day, my first foster mother whispered into my ear saying, don't ever let anybody else baptize you. For once God makes a promise, he never ever takes his promises back. The second set of foster parents weren't quite as loving. And though church themselves, they presented us with a very different set of parables. Mine was, you ain't nothing because your mother ain't nothing. And nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And so I struggled with that mathematical equation for a bit. For she had determined that because our mother was an alcoholic and unable to care for her own children, that somehow the offspring of that situation would come out the same. That math was nothing from nothing equals nothing. That because our dads were all different and we were considered high-risk kids, the math equation began to slowly take root in my head. I had begun to wonder if indeed my destiny had been defined and if my course of life would actually be parallel to the phraseology that I had been reduced to. Suppose my belief system was that I had already been condemned. Suppose I had resolved that I could never learn to become wise and instead was destined to the shackles before me. Suppose there was never a Mother's Day card to lift me from the doldrums of a faulty math equation, that nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And suppose I never learned to believe that God alone equips us to transfer a biblical knowledge from one woman to the next woman. Suppose there was no Proverbs in our history to learn from. But then there's God. And with his own set of math and grace and mercy, had a plan. And so as a kid, I loved going to church, and mostly because of these new friends of mine that I had met. But I also loved learning. And by the age of 15, I remembered asking God whether or not that math equation was true. Was it that there was no plan for me? I had been attending Sunday school at the Lyrical Church, and it was right about that time that I became fascinated by Cecil B. DeMille's dramatization of the Ten Commandments. It was that scene where God was using Moses, Charlton Heston, to liberate the people, the Israelites, from captivity in Egypt. It was the scene where the biblical narrative of the book of Exodus shows Moses stretching out his hand over the Red Sea, and all the Israelites fled to safety through the Red Sea. I remember standing to my feet in awe as the Holy Spirit immediately connected me with the, God, with the awe of God. The psalmist says in Psalms 78 and 13, he claved the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand at a heap. Who is this God? Who does that? Who does that? I realized at that moment that it wasn't about 
how many who deserved to be saved and how many who didn't. It was about what God had promised. It was about God's word being yes, yes, and amen. It was about God honoring his word even above his name. It was about God's ability to change the math. God had not forced Moses to lift his hand over that Red Sea. Moses chose to believe God would do it. And he lifted his hands in obedience. It wasn't that Moses was perfect. It was that God could not lie. It is God that orchestrates the womb from whence we would be produced. And he also knows the path in which we would become mothers. He knows all about the framework and the construction that would go into the forming, the learning, and the tools he would provide his daughters to become mothers. I had to choose to trust God with this math equation. Mothers, if you are in Christ Jesus on this morning, you ought to have no fear of condemnation. You stand in the righteousness and are loved by God as his daughter because of Christ's work done on the cross for your behalf. Mothers, even though you might not feel that you are, you are not condemned by your messy home. You are not condemned by your lack of desire to homeschool. You are not condemned by your personal sins. You are not condemned by the difficulty of caring for your special needs child, a difficulty that wounds down deep. You are not condemned by the knowledge of how easy it is for you to love one child more than another. You are not condemned by your miscarriages. You are not condemned by your lack of desire to not have more kids. You are not condemned because you have no desire to adopt. You are not condemned even though you feel it when you read over and over about others' perfect parenting moments on Facebook. You are not condemned by your inability to cook. You are not condemned because your kids are not normal, whatever normal is today. You're not condemned because you are divorced and doing it alone. You're not condemned by your desire to be alone away from your kids for a time every single day. You are not condemned by your body, which might not look like it used to look. You are not condemned by your repeated failures as a mother. You are not condemned by your, your rebellious children. You're not condemned by the frustration of having to scrape mac and cheese off the kitchen floor again. You are not condemned by all the fears and the tears which flirt with insanity and take you to this place of despair. You're not condemned by not being able to throw the birthday party of the year for your kids. You're not condemned for not feeding your kids meals that don't come from Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. You're not condemned for your need to have a vacation away from your kids. You're not condemned because you cannot take your kids on exciting vacations. You are not condemned for not living up to the standards of your mother or your mother-in-law. You are not condemned by the stares of those who don't have any kids when yours erupt into this volcanic scream in public places. <laughs> Romans 8 and 1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Mothers, even though you might feel condemned, if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. This is the real reality for us this morning. We don't have to live a defeated life of condemnation. We have help through Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Secondly, under hangups, we must ask ourselves, am I a wise woman or am I a foolish woman? Solomon, a wise woman, builds her house, but a foolish woman tears hers down by her own efforts. 
In this verse in Proverbs 14:1, Solomon deploys the use of a twofold compare and contrast scenario. First, there's the comparison of a wise woman to a foolish woman, and then there's the metaphor of building a house versus tearing that house down. Thematically, the term house has to do with family or estate. So the completion of the thought is that a wise woman builds up her family or estate, those she mothers, and a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Built into that proverb is the opportunity of choice. Great mothers are not born. They're made. A great mother chooses to be great. And so by choosing to build the structure of children from godly wisdom and order. She has the right priorities in her life. She is wise and disciplined in her family and estate prosper. How can you identify a wise woman? Look at her children. They reflect their mother very much, which is why the Bible says that a neglected child will shame his mother, Proverbs 29 and 15. Mothers spend much more time with their children than fathers do, and from early ages they are greatly influenced by their mothers. Children of the wise woman will be exceptional in character and conduct and in reputation. Samuel, Solomon, and Timothy had a lot to say about their wise and noble mothers. For children to be successful in relating to others, they must be taught. To be diligent and successful workers, they have to be taught. To be truly spiritually minded, they must be taught. To be organized, neat, and orderly, they must be taught. To be gracious, noble, virtuous, and zealous, they must be taught. A wise woman knows that her example is at least as important to this training as the frequent and careful verbal instructions that she gives. And so how can you identify a wise mother? Look at her soul. Her sins are confessed. She keeps her heart with all diligence. She avoids approaching the lines in life between holiness and sin. She is contented and happy with the Lord. No matter what her circumstances are that she faces, the Lord is her everlasting portion. Amen. And she enthusiastically does anything she can for the kingdom of God. She is humbly contrite for her sins and sinfulness, but fully confident in God's forgiveness to press ahead with bold joy in fulfilling her calling. A wise mother is a holy example of great godliness and loving femininity at all times. Her children can easily observe her submission, service, and affection to her husband. They see a consistent standard of purity, temperance, diligence, and graciousness every day. The law of kindness is in her tongue, and she rules her spirit without fail. She's the sunshine of her home and a constant example of the faithfulness in spirit and conduct. A wise mother teaches and enforces the virtues of Christian character. She instills in her children an ambition for holiness, love of truth, service to others, and gracious conduct. She requires virtuous deportment at all times. She presses them to grow in favor with God and man and to keep a good reputation. Thirdly, under hangups, we must ask ourselves, am I a home builder or a demolition expert? Many women are foolish and rebellious. They are distracted and lazy, and their families and estates fall into ruin during their lives and afterwards. The book of Proverbs characterizes the foolish woman as one who does not take God's perspectives on matters. From that perspective, that God is not her focus and all that she puts her hand to, it is that extent that her house and her estate will be torn down to the ground. 
Women who focus on wealth and the worldviews of beauty will do great damage to their sons and to their daughters. The woman who thinks that a career is far more important than the job of being a mom will do great damage, not just to her own family, but to the society around them. She will teach her daughters that they should focus on chasing men rather than seeking God. She can have them to think that a man is gotten by her female wiles rather than by her chastity and godly character. Houses are torn down by Michael and Jezebel and other odious and lazy women of the Bible. Such foolish women have destroyed their homes down through the ages. Mothers aren't perfect, and neither is their estate. And that brings me to my final point. Our help, which comes from the Lord. Today is encouragement and a warning to mothers that you have a tremendous opportunity to build a family and a state. The children that have been, you've become responsible for and will be used to the glory of God well into the future. It's your choice to be wise and to build, to forsake the foolish and to reap prosperity that God has for you. It's your choice. Godly Sarah, who called Abraham Lord, even though he was not the greatest of protectors, she was responsible for building the house of Israel. There was Jochebed, mother of Moses, who risked her life to protect and care for Moses. And then when God had allowed him to be placed back into her hands as a nurse, she taught him the ways of the Lord. And then there was godly mother and grandmother of Timothy, Lois and Eunice, who took the time to teach them the scriptures, which made him wise unto salvation. These blessings were passed from generation to, to generation through these godly mothers. Mothers don't buy off on the lie that the world has established for you or your estate. Don't allow life circumstances to bring you to this place of self-condemnation. We are not condemned. God still honors his word even above his name. My secondary anthem would have been, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because I know life is worth the living just because he lives. And so let's remember, mommies, that whether young or mature, and no matter how we've come to this place of being mothers, whether you have birthed through the womb or birthed the idea of hope into the life of another, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created on purpose for purpose. We are general contractors. We build homes and we build estates. Choose the better thing. The wise woman builds her house. But the foolish woman tears hers down with her own hands. Happy Mother's Day, mothers.